Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for July 23rd, 2017. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, The Myths That Define Us and the Myth That Should. Secular prophets or other religious prophets, they are deluding you, but test every spirit. My prayer is that our church is ringing the bells of peace and truth and justice. May it be so. In 1839, English playwright Edward Bulwer Lytton wrote an historical play called Cardinal Richelieu. In it, Richelieu discovers a plot on his life, but as King Louis XIII's chief minister, Richelieu has sworn a priestly oath of pacifism. He's struggling with his anxiety, this plot on his life, until his page, Francois, provides the defense Richelieu needs. But now, Francois declares, at your command are other weapons. And Richelieu understands. The pen is mightier than the sword, he says. Take away the sword. States can be saved without it. The pen is mightier than the sword. Yes, states can be saved with words. And they can also be deluded and demoralized and disheartened and destroyed by them. Words are powerful. There's a reason it's against the law to yell fire in a theater. There is a reason the so-called N-word is called the N-word. The word itself is nearly unbearable. There is a reason we need our leaders to speak well, to communicate truthfully and with integrity, to represent themselves and their constituency trustworthily, respectfully. Words make a difference. The 2014, the 2014 Equality of Opportunity study conducted by researchers at Harvard and Berkeley ranked Charlotte 50th out of the nation's 50 largest cities in opportunity for upward mobility. Mecklenburg County ranked 99th out of 100 largest counties in the country. In other words, if you are born poor in Charlotte, it is almost guaranteed that you will die no better off. This study got the attention of our city's leaders who created an opportunity task force to look at this study and make recommendations for improving the odds for the least of these living among us. In May, our deacons met with the deacons of First Baptist Church West, a predominantly African-American congregation. We wanted to look at the task force report and to consider ways that, that we might work together, two congregations, diverse in demographics, but equally concerned about the poor. This conversation is still underway. I had a call from Reverend Woods this past week. As I read the study, the following words, some of which are printed in your bulletin, 
under the heading, A Note About the American Dream, spoke to me. Rather than seeing any quality of opportunity as the product of systemic inequities, systemic inequities we talked about several weeks ago, some people scrutinize and cast blame upon the communities most impacted by societal failures and the people who most need help. An all-too-common reaction to the equality of opportunity study is that people living in poverty should simply pull themselves up by their bootstraps or just make better decisions. This misconception has become deeply rooted in the American narrative. Let me repeat that. This misconception has become deeply rooted in the American narrative and has resulted in a conflation of the exceptional case with the rule. The idea that our nation was built solely on uh, by the innovative, courageous, and pioneering spirit of our forefathers is not supported by history and causes us to lose sight of many of the key elements of our country's current struggles with race, equity, and inclusion. The American narrative. What is the American narrative? These are powerful words. They refer to what I am calling today a myth. These words refer to a kind of ethos, an assumed worldview, a larger-than-life picture that is accepted at face value. The American narrative may be somewhat equivalent to the American dream, another of the myths by which we live. It is that idea that the freedom of democracy and the potential of our economic system have leveled the ground for all. And all you have to do is step foot on American soil and the sky is the limit. It is a romantic and utopian notion, the dream of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness financial stability, home ownership, personal security. The American dream is a myth that has motivated millions. It is a myth that taunts millions more as more and more people realize that such a dream is only a dream for them. It's like the myth that was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The power and the success of that ancient empire supposedly provided wealth to its citizens. Rome took great pride in its accomplishments and was haughty in claiming to be the gift to the world. Well, maybe it takes time and perspective to see, but it is now clear that the Pax Romana, if it, if it existed at all for its own citizens, existed at the expense and the great pain of many conquered and oppressed peoples. A growing number of commentators are calling our attention to the myth of the American dream today. They are not simply throwing rocks at it, offering unwarranted or unpatriotic condemnation. They're sometimes very patriotic and sometimes very religious concerns are intended to create awareness call attention to the great and growing inequalities among the American people. They believe if we do not recognize that inequality, 
achieved not without governmental intervention at a policy level. If we do not come to recognize that and be aware, that inequality threatens not just the poor, but the welfare and the future of the nation as a whole. A helpful place to begin is at at that very root level, recognizing the narratives we have come to accept as normative. The myth of the American dream and American exceptionalism. The myth of the rugged individual and the bootstrapping mythology that condemns so many as being responsible for their own poverty. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever questioned that mythology? Lazy. Stupid. Good for nothing. You know the stereotypes. People are poor for lots of reasons. And bootstrapping individualism blames the poor for most of those reasons. Now, I have never been on welfare, and though my parents and my in-laws had some means, neither family is particularly wealthy. I took my education seriously. I have made the best of the opportunities that have come my way. I have worked hard with honesty and faithful integrity. But the idea that I am successful just because of my hard work is laughable if not insulting, to the millions of other people in this country and around the world who have worked even harder with much less to show for their hard work. And my success might be seen as heartbreaking to the millions of others who have never even had an opportunity. I have never received a handout in my life unless you call the head start that I got from successful parents a handout. And like other handouts, my head start was undeserved and unearned. But I would not be who and what and where I am today without it. None of us pulls ourselves up completely by our own, by our own bootstraps. That's a myth. While the ideal is laudable and one that we can and should celebrate very occasionally when those words seem to adequately describe someone's exceptional story, we need to be aware of the way we use those words, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The way we use those words to condemn the less fortunate and to let ourselves off the hook. Jesus said... To whom much is given, much more will be required. And he said, when you have done it to the least of these, you have done it unto me. And the first question asked in the Bible was, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, we are. We are responsible for one another, for the poor. Do not let a myth be your excuse for not being faithful. These myths are promoted by today's prophets, religious and secular, 
and by the system itself, which we talked about several weeks ago. It's not as if we can just point a finger. The myths by which we live are not the intentional manifesto of some televangelist or government bureaucrat. And it would be much easier if the messages were completely evil. Obviously, they are not. I can sing the praise of every myth I have named this morning, from American exceptionalism to American individualism, but sin is often insidious, which is why we need to live by a different narrative altogether. Now, there are a lot of ways to understand the Christian narrative, the Christian story. There always have been different ways to understand that story. Christians have always de debated the issues of faith. Is the creation narrative a literal telling or just a very literate one? Was Jesus fully divine or just so fully human that his life revealed something of God previously unseen? Was he born of a virgin or was this a writer's device mimicking such stories in Roman mythology used to validate greatness? Does Jesus' death save us from eternal damnation by appeasing the wrath of God, or does it save us for living by showing us the very heart of God that to truly live is to die for one another? Now these are some of the extremes of theological speculation and there are a thousand points of interpretation between these poles and the truth is that I don't much care how you parse your theology intellectually but what I am continuously willing to stake my career and my life on is that the story of Jesus is worth giving our lives to the story of Jesus is worth giving our lives to. Charlie Milford, Park Road's founding pastor, had one of the strongest personalities I have ever known for good and for ill. He was caustic and confrontational, and he was often misunderstood. In the years that I knew him, which were the last five years of his life, he loved to say, everything that's true about Christianity is a myth. Now, this was not a dictum I accepted easily when I first heard Charlie say it, and maybe that was why he loved to say it. It was controversial. It was contentious. It made me think, made me squirm just a little bit. But Charlie was using that word with a capital M, myth, in a classical sense. A myth is not a fanciful tale of untruth. It is, a, it is a truth framed in a story that is larger than its own facts. Even if Jesus was miraculously conceived, virgin birth is not ultimately about biology. It's a theological affirmation that Jesus was from God. Even understood in the most literal way, virgin birth is larger than just the facts. Even if Jesus was physically resuscitated in the flesh, resurrection is about much more than flesh, flesh and bones. Resurrection is about your life and my life. 
It's about our lives together. It's not about corpuscles and brainwaves. Resurrection is about the work of God bringing life where there is no life. That's the story from the very beginning. The truth of story is not limited to the facts, even for the most corpse-cold literalist. There is always more. And I dare say that even for the most fundamental of believers, the more is the more important. More important even than affirming a literal resurrection to the literalist is living in such a way as to express resurrection life in our own lives. That's the very point of Christian faith. It's always about more than just the facts. Stories are the way we frame our world. Stories help us make sense of life. Stories are the means by which we see meaning and purpose in the world, which, just looking at the facts, often seems meaningless and purposeless. So we give ourselves to story. Everyone does. Everyone has some story that they give themselves to. We immerse ourselves in the myth. The American poet Wallace Stevens says this narrative truth, these stories by which we understand the world, are all that really matter. We give ourselves to the fiction, as he calls it, the story, not because it's false, but because there is no better way to share our truth. So Stevens says, in a word that is not nearly as controversial as it may first sound, He says the final belief is to believe in a fiction which you know to be a fiction, there being nothing else. The exquisite truth is to know that it is a fiction and that you believe in it willingly. To what story, to what myth have you given your life? We said it this morning. A summary of the Christian story. In the beginning, by immersing ourselves in the divine image, God gave meaning and purpose to our lives. And when we fell short and fall short, God remains faithful. The Word became flesh and lives among us. Born all too human, weak and frail, Jesus lived a life worth following. And his death showed us the heart of God, sacrificial, dying, undying love. Incarnation, God with us, teaching us to live for something greater than our own good and to die for one another. Incarnation changes everything. So immerse yourself in this story. Give yourself to the myth. Let it speak to you. Let it speak for you. It may be the only way to keep the myths of today from leading us astray. May it be so. Amen.
we invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.